Welcome to another episode of the Low Life Motherfucking Chopper Podcast. We got a great episode for you guys tonight. We got the homie E-Rappaport in the house. We're going to be going over all the fucking rake and trail that you need to know and a whole lot more. But before we get into this episode, we got to kick this thing off the way that we now do with one of our motherfucking sponsors. We got Deadbeat Customs out there in Tewksbury, Massachusetts, but this is not your normal ad read. There is a big event going down called the Deadbeat Custom Clash. This is put on by Deadbeat Customs and Lost Highway PA. Their handle is at Lost Highway PA on Instagram. So, the Custom Clash. This is going down May 19th and 20th. This is a motorcycle show and concert in Bushkill, Pennsylvania. Friday night, which is the 19th, headlined by the legendary Leonard Skinner and Marshall Tucker Band. After that, they'll be tearing it up at the Ride-In Motorcycle Show. This is the Deadbeat Customs Motorcycle Show called the Custom Clash. So, bring your bike in. The categories are Chopper, which we love, FXR slash Dyna, Sportster, Bagger, and Softtail. So, no matter what you're riding, there is a class for you to enter that bike into. I will be keeping a close eye on the Chopper class. Make sure that you put this one in the calendar. May 19th and 20th, handmade trophies to each category winner, built by the Mahomie motherfucking Jerry at 812 Inc. Do not miss this one. If you forget this information, make sure you're following Deadbeat Customs on Instagram. The flyer is posted up on there and follow Lost Highway PA. All right, so with our new streamlined sponsor section out of the way, we will go ahead and get into this interview with the longtime listener, motherfucking E Rappaport. All right, guys, we are live on the phone with the one and only, the master of the rake in the trail, E. Rappaport. Welcome to the show, finally. Master of the rake and trail. I love it. What's going on, buddy? Dude, it is good to finally get you on here, man. It's a long-time listener, first-time caller situation. Well, first time being recorded on my call, at least. This is true. We have spoken on many occasions about a bunch of different stuff. And I have to ask right in the beginning, have, has, have other listeners ever reached out about the rake and trail stuff? Cause we've been banging that joke into the ground for like two years. Dude, the homies, uh, you know, like, uh, Oh man, I'm drawing blanks. Um, Tyler J. Petrie. Yeah. Um, Terminal soul. 
you know, the, the homies, the, yeah. the, the boys, the, the long time low life crew. Absolutely. It's those names that you hear and you're like, I know that motherfucker for years. Exactly. I've been that handle. <clears throat> yeah. It's kind um, of funny how it almost feels like a, uh, it almost feels like a forum, right? Where like you recognize people's handles and you're like, oh yeah, that for years that guy's been posting in here. But instead of posting, it's just like people writing in. Dude, I I was literally telling a friend tonight that, uh, um, you know, so-and-so on Facebook and he's like, well, how do you know this person from Arkansas? I was like, the forums back in the day. Right. Forums were amazing and social media ruined it. That's it, dude. Now everything is is on Facebook and the forums are so I think the forums half ruin themselves too, because you get the uh the safety Nazis in there that just want everything to stay stock and for everyone to be safe and all the gear all the time. That took some yeah. forums down. But uh the other part, yeah, definitely social media stole a lot of that thunder. Yeah. Yeah, it did. You know, Facebook groups that you know forums were still possible before the groups but once those groups came about you know all obviously you still got the big ones but all the small ones yeah absolutely the one thing i will say though is that once things got moved over to facebook i think the answers got dumber like when you were on the forums you were getting legitimate information from other people with like a a deep interest in that topic, but on Facebook, it's just like whoever clicked join. Exactly. And, you know, on the forums, whether you did it or not, you could still search. Facebook search is worthless. Um, And it doesn't matter if you're in a group for, for collecting die cast cars or what someone is going to ask the same fucking question 20 times. And if you are at all like me, you're going to be like, okay, I'm leaving this group. Yep. You just pop in today and you're <laughs> like, oh, what kind of oil should I run in my bike? And you're like, oh, I'm going to leave. <laughs> Precisely. Yeah. So it definitely, it is cool to see the homies have reached out, have asked about the rake in the trail, but outside we got to go behind just the rake in the trail tonight. Let's get the, uh, Give us just a little intro. Tell the, the listeners where you're from, what you do for work, and then we'll get into the bike stuff after. Sure. Um, well, my name is Eric, not E. Um, <laughs> I'm 41. I'm a Capricorn. I like long walks for beer, but they shouldn't be too long. Um, I am a prior service Marine. I live in Minnesota. In the frozen tundra, thank God for heated garages, as we were just discussing before we recorded. Um, Yeah, I got a wife and three kids, house in the suburbs, and uh, a dog that I'm obsessed with. Fuck yeah, you got to tell the people what kind of dog, too, because then people will want to know. Well, I mean, they could ask, but uh, I have a, he's a 10 month old Rottweiler and he is a ball of energy and he's great. Um, My wife's dog hates him because he's a puppy and he's four times the size of her dog. Um, Oh yeah. That's a tough mix. Oh yeah. And he knows he's bigger than her. 
Um, and he reminds her all the time. It's it's great. Plus, he's not cut yet. He's still got his nuts. Um, so you got that testosterone flowing, but that I is like what that. it is. And the Rottweilers get, what do they get, like 80 pounds, 100 pounds? Well, he is 80 right now, and he's actually small. Um, he should be about 130, according to the breeder. But uh, I have a suspicion that he probably isn't going to make it to 100 even. But whatever. I'm okay with it. There you go, dude. That's awesome. So what do you do for work? Um, currently, I am... Oh, well, actually, that, that's another story. Uh, recently got transferred... I work for a fabrication company, small shop in uh, in the same town I live in. I have an eight mile commute, which is amazing in these blizzards we've been having. That's um, great. But uh, so I'm a, a welder fabricator. I'm running the plasma table and uh, press brake operator and jack of all trades, master of none. Um, I spent about. I don't know, 10 years or so before coming to the welding shop as a machinist, um, tool and die, mold making, and medical device production, and medical device production was the worst job I've ever had. Why is it? So it's funny you mention that because uh, my my wife's brother, who has passed away now, he that's what he did, and he was... They like I think it was screw machines he was talking about. He did something for related to back surgery, and it seemed very complicated. Well, it is and it isn't. You know, for me, what I was doing was primarily pacemaker components, and the parts were complicated. But after you've ran the same part for months on end, it becomes just another fucking widget, and <laughs> you stop caring. Right. I can imagine that any seeing that much of anything gets a little taxing after a while. Yeah, you know, I said for a long time that there's two types of machinists. There really is. There's the guy who wants, and this goes for every walk of life. There's the guy who wants a challenge and something new every day. And there's the guy who wants to be comfortable and know what to expect. And I am the first. I want a challenge. I don't want to do the same repetitive job. And Unfortunately, that's where the pay is. Um, but I was working a weekend shift for about five years, and I had had enough. And I told my boss that basically this is what I wanted. I wanted him to create a job for me where I wouldn't be doing uh, the machine operator stuff, that I would be doing programming and all the other behind the scenes work where I'd get to use my brain. Um, and I wanted to come in at seven instead of five and work Monday through Friday and not weekends. And he goes, yeah, that job doesn't exist. So I left. Good for you. Honestly, too many people, they, they have those conversations and then they're just like, oh, okay. And then they just accept it. And it's like, no, fucking quit. You should quit if it's not, if they're not willing to, help you find the job that you're looking for there, you know? Yeah. Um, the problem with the biggest problem with that shop is how big it was. We had almost 1200 employees <clears throat> under one roof on five different shifts. Um, must be 
five or six billion dollars of machinery. We were buying million dollar machines every month. Um, wow, Jesus. It, it's such a huge company that they flat out do not care about each individual person's individual needs. And I understand that. I understood that for a long time. I was okay with it for a while. And I hit a breaking point. Um, you know, I have uh, three daughters, as I mentioned, and my oldest is now 16. And I'm like, you know, I don't want to see any more time slip away because I'm busy working when she has weekends free. Right. Um, I took I took the weekend gig initially because my youngest, when my youngest started going to kindergarten, then my wife went back to work. She had taken a few years off. Um, so I worked weekends so I could be at home in the summer with the family, um, with the, with the, with the kids. I could, we didn't have to worry about daycare. Right. Um, and now my youngest is 11 and more than self-sufficient where in the summer, the three kids can fucking take care of themselves and I can trust that the house probably won't burn down. Probably. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. These things are never certain, but no, chance. no. Oh, and the middle child likes her fucking scented candles and she's a little pyromaniac and a drama <laughs> queen at the same time, which is amazing. Yep. So you're like, maybe I got to invest in some fire blanket for the house just in case. Just in case, just in case. I was telling her that I was going to clear off the ice dams on the roof. Do you guys get ice dams up there in New England? We do. Okay, so I got some nasty ice dams, and I was telling the girls that I was going to clear off some ice dams, and she goes, well, don't you got a blowtorch? And I said, well, I have I have a torch, but it's not like a, a flamethrower. And she goes, well, you're a fabricator. Can you make it a flamethrower? No, no boy. Not, <laughs> not with you in this house. <laughs> Yeah, you're like, no, I'm not leaving that around. <laughs> Sorry, I got a little bit of a cough going. No, it's all good, dude. It is going around. But uh, so the machinist stuff, give me the hierarchy of the machining world. I, I'm only very lightly acquainted with it because I, I had to work with the machinist department when I was at that stainless shop. And yep. pretty much the only thing I understand is that the operator... Nobody wants to be the operator, <laughs> but what's, like, what's the rest of the operator is basically the guy who like someone else does all the brain work. And then the operator is the guy pushing the button, right? Pretty much. There's a, you, usually you got an operator, you know, at that last shop, we had level one, two, and three operators, but you've got your button pusher, your bottom of the barrel operator. He is basically a partially trained monkey. Um, and anyone could do his fucking job. And <laughs> trust me, plenty, plenty of schmucks come in off the street and get thrown right into making medical device parts. So don't fuck your body up and need a heart uh, pacemaker install because I know where they're made. Um, this is terrifying. And, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and then you got uh, your setup guys they're so they're the ones that are going to set the fixturing and tooling and they're going to make sure that the program's loaded and everything's going to run right um and then you got your programmers so the programmer is going to create the program for the cnc machinery 
Uh, and then you got your engineers who think that they know what they're doing, but the programmers and the setup guys usually correct them on a daily. Because um, engineers, you know, they all have a four-year degree instead of a two-year or no degree, and they think they're special, but they're really not. Yeah, this is um, actually how it went at uh, at that stainless shop. The machinists would be like, "Hey, here's why that drawing isn't isn't going to work for us to make it." Yeah, and then- yeah. <laughs> well, and at the at the fab shop that I'm at right now, our engineer, who is also related to the owner, so a little nepotism maybe. Um, but our engineer is, uh, you know. North Dakota State graduate, and he teaches uh, um, SolidWorks classes and whatnot. And he thinks he's tough. He thinks he knows what he's doing. Um, but every day for the last week, I have fucked something up majorly because I followed his print, and I didn't know that I had to triple check his work. Um, you know, I, I built a set of stairs uh, for some warehouse and we built the framework for these for this staircase, sent it off to get, uh, um, what's the word, galvanized. Yep. And then when it came back from galvanized, <clears throat> excuse me, it had, uh, that's when we we're going to put the the stair treads on. The gap was 44 inches. And the fucking engineer ordered 36 inch treads ain't gonna work buddy no shit and and that's not that's not even like me being a picky machinist which i'm told all the time you know they're like oh an eighth of an inch is fine i can do better than an eighth of an inch i'm gonna get it within a 64th or a 32nd fuck but this is the joke you know, like, this is the joke we make on the show Oh, oh yeah, no, I know, I know, and and it it drives everyone in the shop nuts that I'm a machinist and I care about dimensions, um, and I don't know if I'm ever going to get over that. But well, that, um, that's on the list of questions. Is uh, I definitely we'll, we'll get into that. Okay, but yeah, I mean, when when the engineer tells me that this is the angle, and I look at the print, and I'm like, well, that angle isn't gonna. If, if I cut it at that angle, this is all going to be fucked up. And he goes, oh, well, well, you can figure it out. You know, the first job that I made that I sent out for Galvanize, I didn't realize because I'm a machinist. And he knew this when I went in there. I told him I've never been a professional welder. I've only been a hobbyist welder. Uh, I've been there for, oh, I don't know, 10 months now. But um, when I uh, when I made that first job that went out to get Galvanized, he's like, well, it, it Galvanize had a problem. I said, well, what was the problem? He goes, well, it blew up. And I said, well, why did it blow up? He goes, well, apparently you didn't put any vent holes. Well, I don't know that things need to be vented when they're galvanized. Yeah, How am I supposed- that is the kind of thing that you, that somebody would ideally <sighs> mention to the person who's making it. But usually like if a print is issued, the, the print has that on it, you would think. It didn't. It didn't. It was. It misses. Uh, they're missing half the measurements. I'm constantly going to them, and I'm like, "Look, open your fucking SolidWorks program. Click dimension. Click print. Give me the new print with more dimensions." Dude, always like every engineer who's listening to this, just understand. Like you have every dimension at the click of a button, and you're a dick if you don't just put more of them in there, and you you rely on people to like 
do the Pythagorean theorem to get the length of the other side of the triangle. I'm like, it's right there in front of you. Just display it. Hey, let's not knock on Pythagoras and his theorem. I love that shit, but that's a whole nother story. Yeah, but it's I, wasting everyone's time when you can just right click or or some shit and include exactly. it. <laughs> exactly. I, I say all the time to him, I said, give me a print with too many dimensions because I'll still come to you and ask for another dimension. Yeah, dude, I swear to God, these engineers, like the, for every dimension they put in the print, they lose a little of their pay. Because it's like these these dudes are rationing these dimensions out. Like, like they're dude, rationing. Ha! It's insane. I'm like, dude. There's also, you know what? What also bugs the shit out of me is put in a measurement that would make sense for you to throw a tape across it. Don't put it like to the to the inside, like to the center of a piece. To then this oh. other part. I'm like, dude, just hook it on the flange. Like everyone's gonna run a tape. You just need field guys to be there when the engineer is doing the fucking thing. So at that medical machine shop, that's one thing that they got right is every new engineer that they've brought in since I started working there spent six months on the shop floor as a machinist. Oh, that's awesome. And if we could get the engineers to be machinists or welders or carpenters or whatever trade they're in get them out there working with the guys, then they'll figure out what they actually have to do. And then they can go use that big degree that they have to push the same buttons and solid works that I push every day. (sighs) It really should be a part of it. I, and and I feel like engineers are always talking about how they're, they spend time in the field. And I'm like, do you know, (laughs) like at what time though, (laughs) like doing what? Wait, does does the parking lot count as the field? I mean, come on. Yeah, we got a lot of guys at the plant that I work at right now that that walk around. All the engineers wear white hard hats, and you see them, and they're like, they're in the field, but they're in the field with khakis and loafers. And I'm like, you're not in the field, dude. You're like walking through it. Dude, we we get an allowance at the shop for uh, for safety boots. Boss yep. gives us a couple hundred bucks, and you go buy some safety boots. Um, and the engineer, you know, he'll go out and buy new safety boots. And I'm like, why your other boots were fine. There was no rip. There's no stain. There's no scuff. Well, I'm getting the money available. Yeah, I sure I get it. You sound like a politician. If the money, if you don't spend the money, I won't get the money. Yeah, exactly. Then next year I won't get my boot allowance. Yeah. Well, you won't need your boot allowance next year. Yeah, it's 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 wild, man. So what is it like to go from machinist work to welding and fabrication? Because you're not working now with the tolerances, you're it's almost two different worlds. Um the best analogy I could give completely on the spot is imagine you were like a high school teacher and you taught English and then you took a new job in an elementary school teaching second grade. Yeah, that's good. And and, and by the way, I got to say that two of my best friends work at this, at this fab shop. And that's the main reason I took the job there. I actually got an offer at a machine shop also nearby for more money but I wanted to work with two of my homies and I've known these guys since I was literally like 13 um, closest thing I have to brothers. 
and I love them to death, but there are no, in fabrication, in my experience, my, my short experience, you're not talking to scholars, you're talking to stoners. And that's yeah. fine. Cool. <laughs> I don't care, not judging. But when I say, you know, 32nd, don't look at me like I'm speaking fucking Greek. Yeah. Just say, oh, I can count that low. Right. Depending on who you're talking to. Yeah, you definitely you get characters in fabrication for sure. Yeah. And there's different and there's people who like shit exact. Uh, and then there's people who have the if you can step over it, then you can weld it mentality. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Cracking a beer. There you go. You got to get that up close to the mic. So, oh, well, I'll do that on, on number three. There you go. So it's it's definitely you you get different kinds of people and it and it all depends on the, the industry you're in. Like if you're doing like what I did at that stainless shop, I think the tolerance there was fifteen thousandths on welded parts they gave you for shrinkage. And okay. that is just unheard of at the place I'm at right now where we're doing structural stick. It's you would never see something listed out in the thousands. You'd probably get no. eighth. Yeah, I was gonna say you're probably at quarter or eighth. <laughs> it's it's well, and and it's it's a different industry, you know. And and what you're doing now, where you're stick welding structural, I mean, fifteen thou doesn't matter as long right. as the fucking nuclear reactor doesn't tumble over because you did something wrong. Exactly. Yeah, it's very very different. <laughs> so it depends on the fabrication industry a little bit, but even. Even in that other shop it, with the stainless shop, the welders and the machinists would go back and forth. And our 15,000s was like a, a football field to them. They're like, oh, this has to be so much tighter. And I'm like, listen, if I tack this thing on stainless, it's going to move so much. There's no possible way that I'm just going to like hold it <laughs> so that it doesn't. So there was always that that next level up of like the machinists versus the welders of like, Oh yeah. You're make part nice. Well, and, and I mean, that's, that's something that you, you know, this, that, that you got to take into account when you're doing the, the job is um, with welding, it is going to move period. I don't care what the material is. It is going to move. Um, you can clamp it and you can fixture it and you can, uh, hold it in place as best as you can, but I'm sorry, you're not you're not Hercules. You cannot hold it tight enough to overcome the heat, the weld. Um, all you can do is use it to your advantage. Right. Do have to love though when a part goes through QC and it turns out bad, and then there's this fucking scramble between the welders and the machinists to be like, who fucked this up? Who, it was, who do we blame? Oh, dude, it was so fun. Everybody comes to the QC table and you go, well, this fucking guy fucking machined it too short. And then the machinist is like, no, you put too much heat into that part. And it would just, it was a fucking battle, dude. Well, and it's amazing how much you know about the other person's job when you got an opportunity to blame them and defend yourself. Oh, 100%. Yeah, dude, we'd measure everything with micrometers when it came out of the machining department because... If I, if you found something wrong with it, you'd go right back to QC and be like, 
I'm not touching that. Dude, you, you welded like a lawyer. You just like didn't <laughs> want anybody to fucking to get one over. Cause dude, once you put heat to that thing, even if machining fucked it up, dude, you should, they'll just, they would say outright, you should have measured it. Dude. I, I had a part that I made at that machine shop, the medical shop that was, I'm not even exaggerating when I say smaller than a P this was uh, a part that came off of first it ran on lathes then it had two different operations in wire edm which by the way is not electronic dance music fucking ravers oh it's electronic um, dance machines yeah i'm sorry you're right electronic dance machines that's what uh, it means are after the lathe yeah <laughs> and uh and then i would get it and i would have to do my milling on it and uh that's that's what i really truly love in machining is milling um and then i would get it and i'd be like hey that radius is off and it doesn't fit in my fucking fixture and the the job it ran for like 20 fucking seconds it took me 15 seconds to load the fixture i have two fixtures one on the bench so when the machine stopped i it was just nonstop, just constantly pounding out thousands of parts a day and it sucked um and if it didn't fit in the fixture then i'd be stuck sorting through like not even exaggerating when i say ten thousand parts to see if they fit and then i'll tell the boss hey these don't fit they send them back to wire edm to have them uh you know double check and triple check and fucking measure them and the boss would look at me and say nah you can do it what the fuck if the customer kicks them back to us, I'm going to sit there and I'm going to fix them. By the way, I literally spent 12 hour shift, 10 hours a day. I spent under a, or with my hands under a microscope, 20 times magnification, looking at these fucking titanium parts. And I don't care how cool it was. It just got sickening. Yeah. I, I don't blame you, man. I, that exact type of burnout is why I left that stainless shop it was such a cool job in the beginning but then you find why should they find a job that you're good at and they're like this guy is the guy for this job and then that part comes to you only and a whole lot of it and you can do that for a year and then I think after a year of me getting like stuck on one particular thing, I was like, I can't do this anymore. Well, and you know, I'm a firm believer that homicide is healthier than suicide. So you do not want me homicidal. <laughs> this is true. You <laughs> fire up that electronic dance machine and just go to town. Yeah. So what, one of my gr uh, gripes at that machining shop was they had me in what's called a robot cell. So instead of running two machines, I had four or eight machines and the robot was loading everything. Um, and they're like, well, you're good at it. And I said, I'm doing fucking four times the work. I should get more pay, but you're good at it. Yeah, I know. That's why I should get more pay. But, but, but you're good at it. Right. I fucking hate you. <laughs> yeah. There's only so much that you can do. And, and I think that that, is it is that's when it is the time to move on and you learn what yeah. you can from the job you get the skill and the nice part is you take the skill with you amen so yeah that's that that's me in a nutshell um 
Love it, I am man. a machinist turned fabricator who I I have uh oh dude, I got this 20-year-old kid at work. He's so pretty. He's like six five and no no body fat, and he is in the army reserve. And he's like, Oh, you were in Iraq? And I said, Yeah, I was in Iraq. He goes, When were you in Iraq? And I said, I was in there for the invasion in 2003. And he goes, Oh, well, I was in Iraq. And I looked at him and I was like, kid, we are not the same. Do not try to relate to me. <laughs> Even if we did the exact same thing, I literally have double your life of experience. Yeah. Don't, don't come to me like we are the same thing. This isn't an Army versus Marine Corps thing. I joined the Marine Corps because I'm a fucking idiot. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so so that's not what it is but it's it's this kid who is young enough to be my kid is trying to relate to me and I couldn't take it and I'm like you know pretty boy go away or you're getting fucking hit with the closest heavy object yeah we have a guy that's older at, at my job that has a he has a big rock that he has on his table and it just says murder rock on it and <laughs> The joke is just that he and he's he, he looks older than he is. He, I think he's actually in his mid or late fifties, and he looks like he's in his seventies because yeah. he's just been fucking working iron his whole life. And yeah. the the big joke is just like who's getting murder rocked today because he just looks pissed, dude, like all day long, all the time. Even when he's in a good mood, did you look over? You're like, is everything okay? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, well, fucking tell your face, dude, because. Yeah. Look fucking furious right now. So I think you should get a murder rock and keep it on your desk at work. You know, I had a tattoo artist years ago who had a like T-ball size Louisville slugger that he kept next to his little fucking tattoo machine, whatever the hell. You know, you can talk to the boy. If you missed it last week, go back and listen. Um, they'll tell you all about the reverberations and the whatever of the tattoo machines. And they're not guns, by the way. It's not a tattoo gun. But this guy had a fucking Louisville slugger. We delayed shit talking about the term. You didn't even message me. <laughs> Come on, dude. That, that's, that's last week. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he had this Louisville slugger and he carved into it, bitch, be good. And I was like, I asked him one time, I was like, I was like, why does the why does the little T ball bat say bitch be good? He goes, That's my bitch be good stick. I need to find one. I need oh, this man. in my life. That's all awesome. I need a bitch be good stick. <laughs> that and the rock, dude, you'd have a winning combo. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> that, that that's key right there. But it's gonna it's gonna uh lend evidence to the uh, to this this running joke about machinists being disagreeable. <laughs> no machinists are very agreeable as long as we're with other machinists yeah I, what's that meme where it's like you know machinists get along well just not with welders or engineers or safety guys or whoever's reading this <laughs> or the customer <laughs> yeah dude i fucking love it i wonder <laughs> you have a good sense of humor about this kind of thing sometimes i wonder how many people who are machinists and listened to the show stopped listening to the show because I just all, never let that all of them, all of them. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's but it's got to be rare for a machinist to even want to get into choppers because <laughs> it's such a it's such a uh, fly by the seat of your pants type of motorcycle thing versus all like high end newer bike stuff, tighter tolerances. Like, why would a machinist ever want to shovel head? You know what I mean? Well, I mean, look, look at your buddy Chopper Bob. <clears throat> I mean, the guy's yeah. been machining since since machines were first made, and by that I mean the first machines, uh, like uh, you know, <laughs> fucking windmills. Um, <laughs> but but he he's an old school machinist. He wants to build shit with his hands, and he's using the the best tool at his disposal. And if it's a manual lathe, who fucking cares? make it do it run it i've ran i i've had jobs where i was manually i worked at a shop where i was manually machining parts on a lathe and on a crappy crappy mill and i was building cnc equipment for the lumber industry so i was using manual machines to build cnc equipment and it was amazing i loved that job and if they paid me more than like 13 bucks an hour or whatever it was, I'd probably still be there. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's definitely trying to find that niche between what pays well and what you enjoy doing is always a tricky thing, but oh yeah, it's definitely and the chopper Bob thing is, is a good point, but I think he's the exception, not the rule. Like I just feel like, Choppers need machinists because there are things that you you literally cannot hack certain aspects of things uh, that that make a bike run well. Uh, It just seems like a stranger industry for a machinist, someone who likes precision to be into these kinds of motorcycles. You know, in my experience, the guy, the some of the best machinists are actually the guys that hate precision, but know that they need the precision. I like that. That's a that's a guy you know, I feel like I could relate to. I you know that's that's what I I aspire to be that guy. Um, I hate precision, but at the same time, if I bought a set of triple trees and my forks didn't clamp into them properly because some fuckhead you know, machined them wrong, I'd be really fucking pissed. I'd love to see a machinist discover a bit of bad machining. I feel like that would just be a fun, like everybody jokes about the welder being like, this weld sucks, but like, I want to see like a machinist just pick up with something that I pick up all the time and be like, oh, this is made badly. (laughs) I just would love to see the reaction. You're you're literally describing me when the boss is like, go get one inch schedule 40. Fuck you. Give me a measurement. Oh, that's yeah. Oh, I see. Shit. Yeah, that's a big problem that that, that one would bother you because. Oh, man. It's not one inch. What, what the fuck? Why is it schedule 40? Where did they come up with 40? I don't get it. I don't understand it. I will never understand it. Yeah, that one is a little strange because you got it's like you got 10, 40, 80, 120. And then sometimes yeah. people don't call it 80 and 120. They call it heavy wall and then extra, extra heavy wall. Exactly. And it's like, and well, then, that's... Then you got jargon. You got jargon thrown in there. I, I'm not throwing around machinist jargon. I could, but... Come on, you know you are. You know you're doing it. 
Eh, maybe. There's there's no way it's not slipping out here and there. I, well, the only reason I say that is because you picked up on tattoo gun versus tattoo machine. So I know you're a jargon guy. <laughs> okay, I'm a jargon guy. Did you work in a tattoo shop or something? No, I didn't. Uh, when I was in the Marines, that's like the favorite hobby of Marines is going to tattoo shops, going to bars, going to tattoo shops that are also bars. Hell yeah. You know. That's awesome. No, I spent uh, I spent three years post-Marine Corps while I was going to school um, in what I've described as the best shitty job ever, working at a gun gun shop. Oh, um, nice, dude. That does seem like that would be a, a fucking awesome job. Yeah, the pace sucked, but I had a lot of fun, and I was working there part-time while I was in school full-time. School was the priority. I just had to bring in a little bit of cash. Um, and i that's when I first started really learning about machining because, you know, we would get in some special order fucking 45, someone orders some Kimber custom shop, whatever. And I look at it and I'm like, what are all those marks? And the gunsmith's like, oh, those are the machine marks because Kimber doesn't know what the fuck they're doing. And I'm like, what the fuck are machine marks? And I'm looking into this, I'm reading this and I'm learning and I'm like, okay, yeah, that's what not to do. And not to call Kimber out, but Kimber is shit. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, man, dude. I had a customer ordered some fucking $1,800 custom shop, whatever it was. I don't know. Some 1911 cool gun. Don't get me wrong. Um, And when he, after his eight month waiting period, when he finally got the gun shipped in, the barrel was machined off center and it was shooting like four inches to the right, no matter what sights were dead on, put it in a gun rest, put it in five dif- different people's hands. It would not shoot call customer service at Kimber. And they're like, well, I'm sorry. Have you done the proper break in of shooting 500 rounds through it? Fuck you. You made a bad product. Fix it. Yeah, that's crazy, huh? Yeah. And I've, you know, you you pull the slide off of any HK or, um, I don't know, uh, Springfield. You're going to find some some bad machine marks. I'd expect that if I was looking at a Taurus or if I was looking at a Sky or some other lower end. But when I'm looking at, you know, when I'm inspecting a, a quality company i expect that the ship be quality and it's not not always super disappointing to hear i actually i have no experience with kimber but i i have heard people only i've only heard people talk about their revolvers and i've actually heard the same thing that their even their revolvers have some peculiarities that that make them just not function right and usually it's fucking almost impossible to make a revolver have a problem exactly you know i i used to shoot matches within a revolver class um and the trick if you want to win every week is shoot revolver because no one else shoots a revolver um and i asked one of my buddies you know uh he was an old head at the time uh he might not even be alive anymore i don't even know um God, the guy was old as dirt. But anyway, I'd ask him, what revolvers do you shoot? And he said, 
I shoot both types of revolvers, Smith and Wesson. Oh, I like that. I gotta start using that. And I've been using that for like 15 years now. Yeah, they're hard. They're hard to fucking beat, man. I have a J frame that I love, and they've got. I've always wanted to try some of their other, like the larger full size revolvers from them. Yeah, I, I'm trying really hard to not start a collection because you know there's other things I could spend my money on, like a car for my 16 year old. Um, but I have a couple of uh, K and N frames that are snub noses. I have a thing for short barrels on big frames. I like big frames, and I cannot lie. <laughs> um, but at the same time, you know, that two and a half inch barrel conceals so much easier. Um, right. My everyday carry is a is a a full frame 357 with a two and a half inch barrel, just in case I got to shoot a motherfucker behind another motherfucker. There you go, dude. You got to have it. Have you seen their, <laughs> uh, their 66 combat Magnum? Yeah, the, I have a, an original 66 from the early nineties. Uh, it's they're amazing. Oh, dude, that's the one I really wanted to try. I've never shot it. That and the 357, you got a two and three quarter inch barrel on that, but a full size frame. Yep. yep. And you get the the actual like adjustable sight, that you the adjustable rear post. Yep. And you know, I, I actually I carry one of those in the woods with me, and I was hoping that this year I'd be able to take a deer with one. Not to turn this into a low life hunting podcast, but uh do it. I I was just crossing my fingers that i'd have an opportunity to to shoot a deer with my two and a half inch 357 um the two deer that i shot this year both of them were small um but there's meat in my freezer so i don't care um they were both one of them was 65 and the other one was like 110 yards so neither one of them i was going to get with a revolver yeah that'd be tricky especially a short barrel yeah but that'd be fucking, yeah. I'm sure it would do the job if you were, you know, if you found a place that was close enough. If I could hit it, yeah. But, you know, revolver range is about archery range. I'm okay out to 40, but really more comfortable inside of 20. Yeah, I'm the same way. <laughs> if I was going to take a shot, I'd want to be within 20. Yeah. Um, but at least I got you got two this Sorry? Then at least you got two this year, though. Yeah, well, it really it was one and a half. The first one that I got, I picked her up by the neck. Um, she weighed like 87 pounds. She had spots the day before. I mean, I shouldn't have shot her, but I got excited, and it was opener. And I, I'm i not a very successful hunter, so when I saw a deer come in, or into range on opener morning, I took a shot. Hit her at 65 yards, had to, uh, I had to, uh, what's the word, thread the needle. Um, she was under some pretty heavy tree coverage, so I had to wait for an, a good opportunity. Um, once she took that step forward with her, uh, you know, she was, I saw her right side. She was qu quartering away from me. Um, she took a step forward with her right leg. I popped off around a uh, little 243 Winchester and it went through both of her lungs. 
Um, she jumped in the air, fell on her back, and was dead on the spot. It was amazing. But Damn. well, if it's gonna happen, dude, at least it'd be uh, something quick and efficient like that. Amen. Yeah, I would love to get into archery hunting, but I've got enough expensive hobbies. I don't know if I need to add any more. Uh, dude, it's just expensive in the time. It's like <laughs> so hard to get, especially if you're yeah. trying to do more than one type of hunting all in the same season, dude. It really eats yeah. into it, especially being that it it overlaps with a, a very enjoyable part of riding season, at least in our area. Yes. Oh, yes. I love fall riding. You know, you had mentioned Duluth before we started recording. Um, Duluth, Minnesota is absolutely amazing. Up up north in Minnesota, it's it's so wild. And riding out there in that, that two to three week window where the leaves are turning and you got the crisp air and you get too close to Superior and you're freezing your balls off because the wind coming off that lake is cold. Um, that's the perfect time to be riding and everything is scenic. And even my wife likes riding in that time of the year. Yeah, it is. It's just the bikes love it. I love it. And like you said, your, your area. Oh yeah. I'm looking at a map right now. You said you were near Minneapolis and I'm seeing Duluth is like just straight North. Yep. Yep, yeah. straight shot up Highway 35. Yeah, we were so like you mentioned, we were talking before we kicked the mics on about Duluth, and it's just it just seems from someone who's never been to to Minnesota, it just seems like this hub of Amer- American manufacturing. You have so many oh, companies yeah. that are making yeah. amazing stuff, and obviously, I love camping outdoors shit, and the people in Duluth, dude, they just everything from tents clothing bags gear like you got frost yep. river out there you got empire canvas works out there you got red wing yep. that's not in duluth but you got red wing out in minnesota still yep yep it's just like so many cool little companies and i don't know why they're all centered in duluth but i just keep every time i find a company camping related something or other i'm always like oh they're in fucking duluth another duluth well, I can tell you why they're in Duluth if it's camping related, because they want to prove how badass their camping gear is. So they want to go up there where it's like negative fucking 300 degrees for half of the year and say, hey, I slept comfortably. Don't lie. That's like that's like telling me that your bike is a one kick bike. You're lying. Right. Exactly. Yeah. They <laughs> fucking, yeah. Warm built wool blankets too. fucking. Right there, Duluth, Minnesota. One of the the fucking chunkiest, most insanely thick, lofty blankets that I ever found for camping. Found it on eBay, and of course, fucking Duluth, Minnesota. So I think I think that's part of it, dude. Is that's the proving grounds out there. The proving grounds. I like it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we've cool. got we've actually got a lot of manufacturing here in Minnesota. Um, Medtronic is based out of here, one of the largest medical device makers. Um, we've got Best Buy headquartered here. I think they're still relevant. Um, you know, like I mentioned, Duluth. Uh, Red Wing, like you mentioned, all the stuff in Duluth. Red Wing boots. Um, Polaris. 
Polaris does all of their R&D testing right here in uh, in the town of Wyoming, Minnesota. Um, it's it, There's lots That's of shit up here, man. Huh? It's great. Wyoming, Minnesota. Oh, yeah. Wyoming, Minnesota. Virginia, Minnesota. Yeah, it's really confusing. What a bunch of assholes, dude. Who fucking came up with that? Dude, I, I'm in Dayton, Minnesota. And, you know, talking to some random fuckhead online, I mentioned I'm in Dayton, Minnesota. And they're like, well, isn't that in Ohio? No, motherfucker. I'm in the Minnesota Dayton. <laughs> I could see how that would be confusing, though. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> but yeah so we got to get into uh oh yeah is that lake superior too oh fuck oh yeah that's lake superior man by the way that's one of my <clears throat> excuse me one of my rides that i'm hoping to do this summer is i want to ride around lake superior i want to go through thunder bay ontario cut all the way through the canadia side come down the the upper peninsula of michigan through cheesehead land of northern Wisconsin and back into Minnesota. Dude, that'd yeah. be a fucking sweet trip. Yeah, it's also like uh almost a week or so from what I understand. There's no major roads. It's it's back roads the whole way around the large the largest lake in North America. <clears throat> you said that that yeah, that'll take you into the Canada area, right? Oh yeah, half of it would be through Canada. So I'd have to update my passport and probably other things. I'd have to apologize for everything. Sorry. Um, oh yeah, dude. That's the only way to do it. Dude, my wife is Canadian. She went back to visit her family for, you know, whatever it was. It was Canadian Thanksgiving or something, which is in June or some shit. Um and she came home and was apologizing for everything. She spent a week in Ontario. And I'm like, babe, you don't have to apologize. You know, you, you shut the light off when I was still in the room. You know, yeah, it's not the end of the world. It rubs off, dude. <laughs> it does. It does. It's like <laughs> if you stay in California too long, you're going to call someone bruh. Or bruv. <laughs> there That's you go. The new one. The new one is Bruv, and uh, I fucking did you get it? Uh, there's all sorts of new terms coming out all the time. But dude, we we've gotten this far in, and we haven't even touched on the bikes yet. So we got to let the people know what you got in the stable, and then we'll go do a deep dive on the uh, the upcoming project one. Okay, so in the stable, um, okay. So back in the day, my buddy Phil from the Marine Corps called me up one random ass day. This, I mean, we're talking 2005. Um, some random day he called me up from Washington or some shit. And we started having a little chit chat and I was thumbing through a street chopper magazine. Um, I vividly remember the magazine, not the conversation. Um, <laughs> there was a bike in that article or in that magazine that Johnny Chop built. It was the F U L H and down the gas tank, it said, fuck you in brass letters. And it was pretty cool. Um, and I told him I want to build a shovel head. And he goes, my dad's got a shovel head. Well, long story short, I road tripped out to middle of nowhere in Illinois, a town called Dwight on Route 66. 
and I picked up a free shovel head. It just needed a set of pistons, except when I got there, I found out it was an iron head and it was completely disassembled in multiple totes and it ended up being the most expensive bike I've ever owned. Um, so that is my 1974 Ironhead. Um, the parts that I acquired at that fateful day in Illinois, of them, I have the engine cases and one wheel. Uh, the rest of it is is gone because it was either unusable or not cool. Coffin tanks were cool in 1980. Uh, if you argue with me, you're wrong. Um, and, and, you know, I thought, I thought, you know, let's simplify things and, uh, we'll get rid of this starter because it's got a kicker. What, how bad could it be? Um, yeah, I kind of regret that one. Um, you regret but having yeah, the so, kicker or not having the kicker? I regret having only the kicker. Oh, you got to love it, dude. That's the fucking best. Have you ever kicked an iron head? I kicked a big twin. Okay, you kicked a big twin. Sportsters will give you what's called sportster knee. You, you notice that? that old guy limping around? Ask Bob. You notice that old guy limping around the swap meet? He's got an iron head, and he hasn't walked right for 20 years. <laughs> love that. God, I've, love I've gotten thrown over the handlebars on that bike. Why does the sportster do this that the, and the big twin doesn't? That's actually something I never thought about. I don't know. It might might be because it's got the too many cams. It's got four different cams. Um, True. Might be, be might be because AMF built it. It might be because I'd never to, timed it right. It's probably because I never timed it right, but we're not going to admit that. Yeah, you just got to get timing in the ballpark. You can't overthink it. Exactly, exactly. You know, when you're setting your points, you just use the cellophane on a cigarette pack. Uh, you don't need actual proper feeler gauges or anything no actually you'd be you'd be proud of me i, I got a i have a set of star feeler gauges now so i could flex on everybody oh, oh my god homie i love you but it's stare it whatever i never read it i just i recognized <laughs> it was the same as the tables we had in that fab shop and i was like fucking balling <laughs> stare it by the way is the snap-on of machinist tools oh is it Oh yeah, that's like Starrett is is king dingling. That's the one where your dick touches your knee as if you've got a toolbox full of Starrett. All right, I'm gonna post a picture of my feeler gauges then. Just as a flex, hell yeah. Yeah, just be like, look at these fucking feeler gauges, and my points still don't run right. <laughs> <laughs> so when I when I got the bike, again, it was given to me for free. Um, Phil's dad looked at me and said. You saved my son's life in Iraq. So this is the least that I can do. And I'm like, I didn't save your son's life. He was fucking fine. <laughs> but whatever. I got a free motorcycle. Um, there you go. So when I got the bike, it had... Um, are you familiar with Donnie Smith? Do you know who that is? No, I don't think so. Okay, well... Donnie Smith is one of the original hamsters. Um, he's located here in Minnesota... He and his friends had a company called Smith Brothers and Fetro, and they built awesome girders, and he was kicking it with Arlen Ness when all of them were just a bunch of fucking stoner losers. Um, 
and he's kind of a big deal here in Minnesota and pretty much nowhere else. But um, back in the 70s and 80s, Donnie Smith made something what was called a hard head, which you took your iron head frame and you cut it off in front of the engine mounts and you put on this gooseneck on the front of the frame. So this frame had that hard head. So it was a gooseneck frame, but still kept the swing arm in the back. And someone had re-stamped the VIN number, which if you're not familiar is federally a big no-no. Um, and it was welded poorly and I didn't like it. So I ditched the frame. Um, I bought a, I bought a hardtail frame off of someone on like the jockey journal or some shit. Um, with a title and uh uh assembled the bike from there um i brought the engine to a reputable shop here in town um and the owner of the shop a guy named elvis looked at me and said get that fucking iron head out of here i am not touching it call this guy so i called his referral guy named chris chris built my motor to the tune of way too much money um of which nothing was usable besides the cases after a lot of machine work um and then a little while after that i brought my bike to a local fabricator before i knew anything about anything i mean at the time i was probably a pizza delivery boy i was maybe a courier i was working shit jobs um had no skill i had no ambition um and this local fabricator a guy that they, we call pretty ricky um he did some some fab work for me among other things my iron head has a hydraulic foot clutch no shit dude that's wild and it might like sound complicated but literally it's just a off-the-shelf generic hydraulic actuator with a spacer between it and the clutch hub and i put a um you know a honda whatever um brake master cylinder down on the the foot pedal and i got a hydraulically actuated foot clutch and it's pretty rad dude that is awesome um, it, it really is. Oh, and hang on a second. There's another 16 ounce Nordeast. Um, so, uh, oh yeah, 4.7%. Oh, it's amazing. I like the lower ABVs these days. They they Dude, just they have more flavor than the fucking. Some sometimes these nine percent they just taste like fucking syrup. Yes. Syrup and hops. <clears throat> yeah, weird combination. And it's it, like more yeah. is not always better. People are like, oh, this one will get you fucked up. And I'm like, yeah, but like I'd like I have to drink 16 ounces of it. I don't want to have to suffer through it. Well, and for fuck's sake, if I just want to get fucked up, I can go buy grain. You know, I can go hit the, the, the liquor store and buy a bottle of fucking uh, Everclear if I want to just get fucked up. Right. If I want to. Fuck, dude, and, and the sour, don't even get me started on the sours. I'm not going to, I don't want to waste the airtime, but yeah. <laughs> I think you're on the right track with the four sevens. There you go. So the, uh, uh, the, the fabricator did a bunch of work for me and 
Um, I called him up. He had my bike for a couple of days and I called him up and I was like, so just so I got an idea of how much this is going to cost me, what are we looking at in a ballpark? And his response was, how much do you got? Oh, and that's that combo. Oh yeah. That's a crappy conversation. And I looked at him and I said, at the moment I got about, I don't know, you know, this is over the phone. So I didn't actually look at him, but I was like, I got about 900 bucks or whatever. He goes, okay, so I should have stopped working like two hours ago. (laughs) Um, I guess, I don't know. Um, so pretty Ricky, it turned into a labor of love for him to help me get this bike. Cool. Um, we did a Hayabusa six piston caliper on the rear. Um, we built, and I was there working with him, uh, learning as much as I could from a crotchety old fuck. Um, and I, we built a um, kicker cover that was out of, I want to say, three-quarter inch aluminum plate, so it'll never break, that also supported the shifter shaft, um, built the bike into a hydraulic jockey shift, and that's when I decided that I wanted to get into machining. Um, that's what he was doing is a lot of machining, a little bit of welding. And um, I had my best friend, PJ, was was a fabricator. So I was like, well, I don't need to worry about welding because PJ can weld for me. I'll learn how to machine. And boy, it all went downhill from there. <laughs> That's it. Then down the rabbit hole. Down the rabbit hole, man. Um, I had the Montgomery GI Bill to use. Um, so basically for serving, I got free school, which obviously isn't free. Nothing's free. Um, but uh, so the government paid for me to go to school and I decided I was going to go learn some machining. And I went to a two year school for five years full-time and I'm not about that academic life but I'm all about the trades man um I took some engineering classes I took some HVAC um I got two degrees in machining and then I said I'm gonna get into welding because what if PJ isn't able to weld for me um and I flat out told the instructor on my first day in the welding shop I was like look I have no desire to be a welder I just want to know how to weld. And he's like, cool. Um, he's, he informed me that machinists often make the best TIG welders because we're particular. We're going to make sure that everything's right. You know, things like cleaning your material. Um, that apparently your average stick welder doesn't do. I don't know. Yeah. The, the, oh, um, man. The, the stick welders are uh, – and now I'm a stick welder, but – Man, do they take some pride in not cleaning the material? I'm like, you could still clean the material. You don't have to not. You don't have to weld over the mill scale. And it would be better if you cleaned it. But they love <laughs> to not clean it. I'm going to call bullshit on that. You are not a stick welder. You might be stick welding, but you're a TIG welder. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> that's a point well taken. It's hard to... uh I I was doing, I actually had to do a MIG test 
to get my MIG certs at this place, even though we don't really do MIG, it's just kind of slow. So they were like, you should just get the certs anyway. And I was cleaning the, the mill scale off the test plate. And one of my coworkers <laughs> was like, you don't have to do that with MIG. And I was like, fuck off. <laughs> if you always do it like there's no if it's a test plate you clean the fucking mill scale it's like you may go right over that and it's like it might but you don't if you have the option always take it dude they're giving you the chance always always and that's the difference it. that's the difference yeah between the only the stick welder and like stick welds but also tig welds is you're like yeah i'm gonna give myself all the precautions Oh, absolutely. So as I've said to you in previous conversations, uh, most of the aluminum that we do at the shop I'm at is um, wire MIG, um, push-pull MIG welding with aluminum. Um, And I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Welding aluminum with MIG is the same as welding steel with MIG. It's fucking messy. It's your welds look like MIG. Um, <laughs> they look like they need to be ground down. And it's absolutely in, uh, frustrating and infuriating. Um, and I don't know, a couple weeks back, I had this project that I was making at work that was aluminum. And the MIG torch on this aluminum machine shit the bed. And I said, fuck it, I'm going to TIG weld it. And sure, it took a little bit longer probably notably longer, but everything fit and everything um, looked right. I didn't have to, I mean, we we grind our welds just for appearance, but I didn't need to grind anything. You know, I didn't have to go back and add, add some filler into holes or whatever that were, were left behind. It just worked. And my boss comes up to me, that engineer I was mentioning, and he says, well, I didn't know you knew how to TIG weld. I said, you didn't ask. Got him. And I mean, it's like that scene from Rush Hour where he's like, I didn't know you spoke English. <laughs> like, well, you never asked. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. And I mean, frankly, if you ask someone, can they TIG weld? They might say yes and not be able to TIG weld. And I'm not. I'm not an expert. I'm not a uh, a world class TIG welder. You're not going to find my my welds on any weld porn on Instagram, but they're going to hold and they're going to look decent and they're going to be consistent. And consistency is key in everything. Right. I'd, I'd rather hit. I'd rather hit three inches left on all of my shots at the at the gun range then have one hit in the bullseye and seven misses. That's that's a machinist right there. I want my tolerances tight on my groups. <laughs> exactly. I can adjust it. I can dial it in. Yeah, or spoken like somebody that works at Kimber, putting them barrels together. I'd rather have oh every shot hit four inches left than put it together right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Did last week... Coker got it this week. Fucking Kimber's getting it. Oh, yeah. Kimber and Coker, I swear they're the same company. Yeah, they're like, what if we also made tires fucked up, huh? 
Oh, God. What can we get into next? Ooh, cell phones. <laughs> there you go. You know, if Kimber were to get into cell phones, it would be the first non-Apple iOS. Yeah, they, that's the I'm last. just saying that because Apple sucks. Oh, yeah. I noticed as I was texting you, I get in that green fucking bubble. You and Loctite would be best pals. <laughs> Yep, yep, yep. Hey, the way I see it, Samsung makes half of the Apple phone, so I might as well just buy a Samsung phone. There you go. Yeah, nobody ever talks about Samsung. It's always Apple versus Android. I didn't even realize Samsung was its own thing. Well, Samsung is Android. Oh, it is Android. Okay. Yeah, yeah. There's Android and there's Apple. There's Apple and there's everyone else because Apple is fucking difficult and have to have their own thing. Yeah, and that's like yeah, the, that's it, the joke we always have with uh, with Loctite too. Is is we get the like in the group chat, the Android will receive pictures from us, and it'll work fine. But if anyone sends a picture, because there's an Android in the group, none of us will get those pictures in any sort of a good format. Like even if like say. No luck paintworks, right? If he's in that group chat and he sends a picture, I can't even see it, even though we both have an iPhone because the Android forces it like to do some other shit and scramble, (laughs) basically. You know, what's absolutely infuriating is when I send a text to someone with an iPhone, by the way, my wife and two of my daughters have iPhones and they decide to like the text message that I sent. I don't see a little heart or whatever you fucking iPhone users see. Instead, I get a text message that says, uh, it, it'll say, Grease liked your text message. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's an Instagram notification at that point. Exactly. And this is like the, the big thing. It's like the Androids, no question. They have like better cameras. They have better processing capabilities. But it's just that like, half the world doesn't have them. So it just like fucks everything up. No, no. First off, it's about 20% of the world. And secondly, the issue is not Android. The issue is that Apple has to have their own non-compatible everything. Look at a Macintosh. Yeah, but it's 80% of the the first world that has okay it's 80 people always say that they're like it's actually more it's it's 50 50 and i'm like no okay everyone in other countries has androids you're right everyone in other countries has androids but i'm not we're not getting into this man this can't be the cell phone podcast (laughs) Dude, we, we've we've gone into so many different things, but that's true. So we'll steer it back into, hey, I, uh, into the bikes. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. We yeah. Are, so you I think where we where we jumped off was at the hydraulic foot clutch, right? Yeah, I, I mentioned the hydraulic foot clutch and the kicker support slash shifter support that we made. Um right. six piston caliper on the back just because I like locking up my rear tire. <clears throat> Oh, um, dude, you got yeah. you got to lock that thing up. That's what it's all about. <laughs> yeah, you got to lock it up like a hormonal teenager. That's it. You get the fucking uh, those drum brakes that if you don't set them up right, it's just on or off. <laughs> There's no throw. Dude, There's no pressure. There's I, no nothing. 
when I had a drum brake on that bike, it was only to turn on the brake light. Yeah. I had actually the XS was the same thing. I was never able to get that thing to like to do more than just pull that switch and turn the brake light on. Yeah, pretty much. So I've had like five different front ends on this bike just because I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, you know, my favorite as far as style goes was this uh, uh, repop of a survey car front end. Now, if you don't know the survey car, the 45 flathead trike, um, it had a Springer front fork that was a seven eighths neck stem. So it would work on an iron head, but it used a three eighths axle. Now I say that because the, the 45 WL, like the little uh, motorcycle, the two wheeler, yeah. um, it has a, th- instead of a, th- uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. The survey car uses a three quarter axle. The, the WL uses a three eighths axle. And I did not trust a three eighths axle for anything ever in my life. Um, and that front end was awesome. It looked the part, but in my personal opinion, brakes look really stupid on a Springer. I don't care what kind of Springer it is, especially if it's a dr- uh, a disc brake, because you've got a big old caliper hanging out above the fucking rotor on the disc brake. It just looks dumb. And let's face it, as far as choppers go, looks are 97% of it. Hell yeah. Um, so I ran that thing with no brake for a while. Uh, spool wheel 21 skinniest fucking speed master that I could find. <clears throat> um, so I got no brake up front and I got a six piston in the rear. And um, my wife, rightfully so, was like, that's not really safe. And I said, you know, what's the point of a front brake? It only slows you down. I love that. And she, and she didn't really like that. So um, anyway, currently the bike has a early narrow glide, a 33.4 millimeter narrow glide. Now on these old pre um, Japanese, it's not, the whole thing is fucking American made, you know, in 19 fucking 63 or whatever. um, The lowers are steel. Right. They're, they're not aluminum. Normally it's a, a steel fork fork tube with an aluminum lower leg. These are steel and it's got the big hamburger drum that looks so cool. So I when mean, I'm riding on that iron head, man, nice. I'm either grabbing the front brake and nothing happens or I'm touching the back brake and I'm sliding like a fucking 12 year old kid on his huffy. That's fucking awesome, man. <laughs> it really is. Uh, um, Unfortunately, uh, the iron head being as it's an iron head, uh, hasn't seen the road in a while. Um, it's been, I'm kind of ashamed to admit this, but I'll tell this to all of the internets. Um, it's been about seven years and every time I ride it, it seems like something breaks and, you know, iron heads are great bikes for people who are willing to put in the work and I'm just not willing to put in the work. Yeah. They're tough. They're tough things to, uh, 
to maintain. And I know that people will say, no, that's not true. And it's like, okay, I think your point is well taken that they are, if you're willing to do the maintenance that's required, they can be very reliable, but they're certainly not like a hands off. (laughs) Pretty much, pretty much. Um, They're not an Evo or newer, um, higher quality, tighter tolerance machine. It's a, you know, a sloppy piston. It's a um, fucking, I swear the guy that was assembling it had a tape measure and did not use a micrometer and cool, whatever. Um, it is what it is. But I just, I you know, personally, I'm at a point in my life where I, if I have time to clean my bike or work on my bike, I have time to ride my bike and I'd rather ride it then clean it or work on it. Uh, so probably five years ago, um, I told the wife, I want to take that tax refund and buy another motorcycle. And my wife being a reasonable person was like, why the fuck do you need another motorcycle? You know? So I bought this, uh, uh, 2001 Sportster. Uh, it's an 883, that has a 1250 kit on it. So it makes a fair amount of power. Um, I got some better cams and better carburetor, McCooney, um, and some better pipes. And it makes good power and it's fun. And I, I rode it for years. And I told Amy, my wife, that I would not, uh, I wouldn't do anything to it that couldn't be done in a day. So I've stuck to that on that iron head. I have not done any, I'm sorry, on the Evo, I have not done anything that can't be done in a day. Meaning I haven't ripped into it and decided to hardtail the frame or whatever. It's been my reliable daily until a couple of years ago, 2020, during the height of the pandemic, you know, because the whole world was dying, we decided we were going to sell our house and move into a new place. And the sale from our old house left me very cash flush. Um, and I told my wife I was going to go buy another motorcycle because why not? Why not, right? Yeah. So, um, my little street tracker iron, um, sorry, not iron head. My little street tracker Evo Sportster with the 1250 kit and the N6 cams and the head work and the this and the that, um, got parked and I bought a 2020 Harley Softail Lowrider S. Um, now let me say up front, I don't care if you're riding a Honda Yamazuki. As long as what you're riding is something you enjoy, cool. Uh, I feel like a lot of the not Harley guys want to prove how better they are for not riding Harleys. Um, personally, yes, I don't care. Definitely shit. the bulk of it comes from the non Harley toward Harley, as opposed to people with Harleys being like, this is the only one you should ever own. Yeah. Oh, I I haven't I haven't had to adjust my my drive shaft and my 
fucking 2006 Honda Goldwing in seven months. Cool. Great. I'm I'm glad for you. But I took my rear wheel me. off with ease, though. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's something you need to do so frequently. Yeah. It's so it's things, man. What can you do? Yeah. So I, I picked up this Softail Lowrider S. Um, I rode it for about a week and a half. Excuse me. Oh, man. Big burp. <laughs> oh, man. That was a, that was a hell of a burp. Um, That's a long one. I wrote it in Scott. <laughs> What's that? I said that was a I long one, that. dude. That, that one was. That yeah, it was. It was it was longer than I expected. And my wife said that too once, but hasn't said it in a long time. Um You just gotta so, remember it. Yeah, that's it. Fondly. So so I rode that bike in stock form for a couple of weeks, but the factory mufflers and stock exhaust and all of that stock, stock, stock. It just sounded and felt like a sewing machine. Um, it, since then, I have done my, I think they're minor. Some people might not agree. You know, your average fucking uh, leather daddy at bike night might tell me that I've done something crazy. I think he is wrong. Um, but on that soft tail, I've kind of turned it into your typical dino bro. Um, it's got a, a stainless two and a one. Um, I gave it some tall bars and I'm sorry, tall risers and, uh, and short flat tracker ish bars. Um, and it's got a full fairing from an FXR style repop, um, with, with the lower guards for my legs and boy, man. Just before we started this podcast, I went out in the garage and fired it up. It hasn't been plugged into a battery tender. I don't care what the experts say. It just fucking fired up. My garage is at like 33 degrees, and it didn't hesitate. That fuel injection is spoiling me. Yeah, it is hard to beat, man. There's there's no doubt that it performs in a way that the carburetors don't yeah i mean um i uh i'm not proud to say this but my my evo sportster has been sitting for a while uh upwards of a couple of years uh i don't think i've ridden it since 2020 battery is very dead i promise you if i were to put a jumper cable on it it'd fire right up um because it's a good evo sportster and they're reliable as shit but it's just been neglected um and because that, anytime i want to go one, right yeah 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 that's a, that's a, that street tracker i got oh i didn't mention this i have 16 inch shocks on the rear 16 inches it is they are the longest shocks that i could find only reason i could come up with that is just because i can What's the stock height on a shock? Um, for that bike, they're probably 12 or 11 inches. Fuck, dude. That is a big shock then. Yeah, you're not fucking around. Dude, it sits like a dirt bike. I have to, like, throw a leg over it. I can't just step over it. This is the XR, um, right? 
Yeah. Well, I mean, like an XR, but this is the XL. Oh, I thought this was the XR for some reason. Oh, well, that's kind of flattering. Dude, it looks just like it. Yeah, it's got the even the got the the tracker style pipes, the orange paint. I saw one at uh, at Fat Man's one time, one of the XRs, and they are fucking cool looking bikes too. But yeah, dude, it, this one has that same look to it. Dude, they, my favorite get that is... thing back out on the road, man. Well, we'll get to that in a moment. My favorite is when I'm at the gas pump and I'm filling that thing up. And again, it's a 2001 with with the exception of a couple of minor things like the exhaust and the and the shocks. It's pretty much a 2001 Sportster. Uh, oh, and the big bore. Um, it's pretty much a stock 2001 Sportster. And I pull up to the gas pump and someone's like, what year is your antique bike? And I'm like, I guess 2001 qualifies as antique technically, but wow, it ain't that yeah. old, buddy. That's hysterical, <laughs> dude. Fucking 2001. But I guess, yeah, yeah. I guess that can happen. Like mine's a 94 and... It's hard. It would be hard to recognize as a 94 unless you knew all the Harley motors and all the shit like that. People yep, just see a yep. kicker on something too. Any, even any modern bike, like I consider mine to be like a modern bike. Uh, and people see a kicker on it and they're like, that's an old bike. And it's like, no, I just stole that off of an old bike. The rest is not. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> that's almost like the the random guy coming up to you with your Evo saying, nice pan head. That dude, one throw over set of saddlebags away. Dude, throw over set of saddlebags and some, some side, uh, side, side lights next to your fucking headlight. Um, oh yeah. Some friends on the handle grips, dude. Ooh. Ooh. And how about one of them light up, uh, fucking fender emblems on the front end? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a classic. <laughs> oh man, you know. So, so my my idea, my plan, my thought process was that I would take an Evo Sportster motor that I picked up recently for really cheap. Um, I picked up a 1994 speed Evo motor, and I was thinking I would put it into my Ironhead. Because I'll get rid of all of the iron head problems by getting rid of the iron head. Hey, there you go. And, and it makes sense. I mean, really, it makes sense. But um, I, I started looking into it. Now, a couple weeks work, ago, you guys it? did a Q&A. Oh, was that? I said, can that, that wouldn't be a, a direct fit, though, right? That'd be a you'd, you'd <clears> mess with the frame a bit. You'd have to do a bit. So a couple weeks ago when you guys did a Q&A, I asked, and you guys didn't read it because, you know, I apparently I'm too too late to post. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, I remember this. But, but I asked something to the extent of, do I do 20 fucking modifications to this frame to make it fit, or do I just build a frame? So I after looking into it, the Evo Sportster oil pump sits under the camshaft. I'm sorry, the cam cover. Right. Uh, Ironhead, it sits behind the cam cover between the cams and the sprocket. 
Um, but since the Evo sits under the cam cover, that means for me to put an Evo into the iron head frame, I would have to notch the frame rail and, you know, fill in, uh, uh, make a little filler panel to, to fill in the gap. I would also have to raise the backbone to clear the rear cylinder head. And on top of that, oh, I'm sorry, I'd also have to do a, uh, a couple of mods to the rear engine mount. The bolt hole pattern, I believe, is the same, but the Evo Sportster, the back motor mount, like, has, uh, like, a guide bushing that fits into the rear engine mount, so it'll, like, kind of hold itself in place. Huh. Um, so, so I would have to um, counterbore the the rear engine mounts on the frame to fit this Evo. Um, and then on top of that, like I said, I purchased this frame with a hardtail and a title. And some tweaker who installed the the hardtail, the Santee hardtail circa like 1994 or whatever, um, they definitely didn't believe in frame jigs or even double checking their measurements. So my hardtail on the iron head is a little bit cockeyed, which isn't the end of the world, but if I'm already in there. So you'd want to be, yeah, straightening that out. I get, I, and I don't know, I I'd actually be curious to get your take on this. Uh, We were working on rhinos and he's got a voodoo vintage tail on his. And I did that hardtail in the jig came out perfect, but it comes with a, a lower cross member that you can install if you so choose, or you can not install. If you like, say you cut your fender right after the, um, the, the top cross member and you don't even run it down to the bottom. Maybe you would just not put that lower cross member in because um, you would yeah. need a lower fender mount. So once we put that cross member in, we decided, okay, we have it. We might as well pop it in there it actually moved the axle plates in a little bit Oh, uh, just because of like when you bend, when you're like, maybe the piece was too big or something, because once you popped it into the middle, you had to like tap it to get it into the, in between those two frame rails. And I think in so doing it moved the axle plates a, a little bit narrower. And that's the kind of shit that I do not like. That makes me super nervous whenever axle plates move, um, it ended up being only a 16th difference um, on the axle plates, but nobody will ever give you like a definitive number of like, when is it a problem? Yes. Any idea and, you know, on like when you think it would be a problem? Honestly, I feel like it's a problem when you're not comfortable. If you're like, hey, maybe there's an issue, then I would do something i mean it, it kind of surprises me that that a fabricator like yourself wouldn't have just whipped out a fucking grinder and made that that cross member fit but yeah i, I understand it had to be tight because it comes from the factory at that that width you know what i mean but i guess yeah maybe you should maybe it should have been ground down a little bit more well i guess we'll have to ask rhino dick um and it, it it really sucks. By the way, you you heard about his Instagram being deleted, right? Yeah, we should just make a mention of this real quick. Uh, Rhino Resto 
all one word, on Instagram, had his Instagram handle permanently deleted for the vapor honer boner jokes, which is hysterical that Instagram has now gotten to be this much of a joke that you you literally can't even say shit like that in your ads. He had some of the best ad reads in the fucking game. You would read those posts and you, you were like, this is gold. And yes, they, they agreed. Took his account away for that. You know, I, so he, I got, I got some notification. It was like people you might know or whatever. And it was Rhino Resto with a underscore or a hyphen or. Yeah. Rhino underscore Resto is the new one. You know, he just put that underscore in there for you, right? Oh, I think he did it because he, because the old one, he couldn't take the old one back. Well, and he, he also knows how much that, that Greece loves his underscores. Oh, yeah, dude. Big fan of the underscores over here. Oh, yeah. For real, for real. So he, uh, I, I messaged him and I, I clicked on his, his, his fucking channel and his account said it was like deleted at 65 trillion followers. And I was like, dude, that sucks. 65 trillion followers gone. And he goes, you know, what's it, what am I going to do now that I'm no longer a social media influencer? And I said, the, the only thing that any friend could truly say to a friend that he's never actually fucking met. Um, I said, you know, I mean, you could either go on your, with your life as a loser like me, or you could suck, start a shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) Which, which, which turned into a rabbit hole of he and I, passing jokes and man i can't wait to eventually have a beer with all of you fuckers because i know that the shenanigans will ensue oh yeah it'll be it'll be off the chain man we got to find a time an event that we can all agree we're going to travel for you know i mean we we could go to uh uh what was the the greasy dozen oh wait that ended yeah isn't that funny dude that one ended uh quietly I, I i actually wasn't even aware of the fact that it ended until loctite i think two years after the fact he's like yeah so i guess they just that doesn't happen anymore and i was like oh yeah we haven't heard about that in a, in a minute so, when loctite was building his white trash shovel head which really is a redundancy he could have just said tr- uh, shovel head but <laughs> <laughs> When Loctite was building the white trash shovel head, I was pounding off emails to Greasy Dozen saying, hey, I want to build a bike. I want to join the Greasy Dozen. I want to be one of your your dirty 12. Um, and I never got any fucking response. Email, DM, didn't matter. They're like fucking shut down. Um, I think that the Rona just had it, it took its emotional toll on too many people and they gave up. I don't know. It does seem like, yeah, I think the first one happened because of the Rona. And then who knows as far as after that, but hopefully somebody will pick up that mantle and start doing a similar thing. Because I think that the big, highly trafficked ones like People's Champ, Born Free in general, uh, it's like there's a lot of grassroots guys that would love to get in on something like this, but maybe are not at that level. That's a good mantle for somebody to pick up. 
Speaking of, of people's champ, are you following the people's champ contestants for this year? I'll be honest with you, a bunch of shit we've been have going on around here has been taking up all of my time, so I have not been. Well, there's this cat that's in people's champ this year. Um, oh, I'm trying to find his fucking account. It is Bobby63Pan, all one word, like a gentleman. Um, this guy is from some pissant little town here in Minnesota called like Pease, P-E-A-S-E. I only reason I know it is because I've driven through this tiny town too many times. And this guy is building the coolest like swoop frame Springer front end pan head I have ever seen. I, I mean, Minnesota guys, let's face it. When you think about choppers, you don't think of Minnesota. When you think about stupid accents, you think, oh, yeah, sure, you betcha. This is a Minnesota hot, hot dish right there. But for fuck's sake, this guy has some skills, and I'm 100% behind him. I'm pulling up the page right now. Let's see. Bobby 63 pan. Let me see this swoop thing. Dang, dude. That is a wild fucking frame. I love it. (laughs) So apparently after reading the guy's profile, I know nothing about him just because we're in the same state doesn't mean I know him. Um, but apparently this guy works for or owns a like a hot rod custom shop and his bread and butter is things on four wheels with windshields and that's cool and all um this is the first frame build that he's done and i'm looking at this and i'm blown away this guy's got some skills he's bringing out every trick he can come up with yeah, dude, that is nuts for a first frame build. I've actually never seen a frame look like this, too. Like, he did a great job of bringing something new to it. Yeah, I mean, it looks like, to me, yeah, okay, I'm looking at his 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 shit right now. Um, the frame, for for the listeners, the frame, like, swoops back over the front cylinder head and the steering neck, the neck stem, whatever is directly above the front head. It's so cool. His backbone is curved. It's, it's just a classy, almost, uh, Oh, what was that one cat? Uh, Oh my God. I can't even think of his name. Uh, vintage something. Vintage technologies. Hawk. Vintage Technologies, thank you. It's It reminds me of something Vintage Technologies would build, but at the same time, it looks like it's almost rideable. Um, that's my biggest peeve, is when I see a motorcycle that looks unrideable. Oh, we know. This is how we got the, the Lord of the Rake and Trail. This is how it all came into existence. <laughs> yes, the guru of the geometry, the whatever you want to fucking call me. I don't know. Your protractors, people, we're getting deep. Hey, 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 
It's 2023. We have angle finders, digital angle finders, magnetic-based digital angle finders that you can buy for $4.99 at Harbor Freight or something. Yeah, but if you ain't got to steer it, then fucking you ain't shit. (laughs) There you go. So, I mean, okay, we'll get into that in a moment. But when you've got... A front end that's fucking 8,000 fucking inches long. And your handlebars are 14 and a half inches end to end. I'm sorry. That makes it unrideable. When your your foot controls are up over the cam chest and above the, the primary cover, you're, you're making something that is just... Show me you can ride the damn thing. And that's one thing I got to give props to Biltwell on is when Biltwell took over the People's Champ, uh, RIP to show class. um, But when Biltwell took over the People's Champ, they are like, okay, build your bike. Then we're going to fucking do a 40 mile ride. And if you don't make it, you're disqualified. I agree. I do love that. And I mean, 40 mile ride, if you've got a fucking 0.3 gallon gas tank and you have to fill up every 12 seconds, cool. Knock yourself out. As long as you make it to the destination, cool. But I mean, if your bike is so radical that you cannot ride 40 miles at that point, it's art. And it's cool as shit. Vintage Technologies builds awesome bikes. I don't want to sound like I'm trashing on him. I love what he has done in in the world of motorcycles. But, I mean, how do you ride it? The whole point is it is transportation. It is a motorcycle. It is a form of transportation for you to get from point a to point b whether it be from your house to the bar or from your house to three states away it doesn't matter the point is to be able to ride right it is a vehicle and the at the end of all i mean so i'm not wrong no i agree yeah you want something that you're going to be able to ride i think that i think that built well doing that with the people's champ was unanimously a popular move because everybody builders and guys attending the show everybody wants the bikes that are going to the show to prove that they can actually ride down the road and not just to the bar but like a good ways to the show uh i don't think i've never heard anybody say that they hate that rule whereas a lot of people before said i hate the fact that they don't have to do a ride well, I don't know if people were actually saying that verbatim, but yeah, the there were a lot of people that were calling out other builders, whoever it might be, for making something that was so nuts that you look at it and think there's no way to ride it. This meeting is being recorded. Yeah, so definitely the move to go to that. And I think that any show that somebody's building a a serious bike for, not just something like you're, oh, there's a show here this weekend, I'm going to go to it or enter my bike in it, whatever. If you're building a bike for a show, I love that rule. And I hope that 
everybody across the board starts adopting that that motto. You know, I'm kind of surprised that Biltwell doesn't because they sponsor the El Diablo run or they started they started the El Diablo run. I'm surprised that they don't say something about you need to ride this motherfucker to southern Mexico. But I think, I think realistically, yeah, I, I was going to say, I think realistically, they realize that most people are bitches, myself totally included, and would not be able to do 800 miles or whatever on a rigid bike. Right. Or just wouldn't have the, t- wouldn't be able to dedicate the time to that kind of trip. Whereas you, maybe you can come out for this one show and do a, a one day ride. <laughs> yeah. I, I Agreed. So, um, I don't know how the hell we got onto this subject, but I've got some ideas for the Evo motor. So, like I said, I picked up this 1990, um, four speed evolution, evolution, whatever, uh, 1200 motor. Yep. Picked it up off of a homie and I got it for a decent price. And I wanted to wedge it into the iron head and I found out it's just not worth it. Um, well, that is how we got into all this. It's how we started talking about the frames. Cause you were saying about the oil pumps being different locations. <laughs> You'd have to cut the whole backbone out. Well, yeah. And you know, the, the particular bike, the engine that I bought, the shifter shaft for the transmission is tweaked. I bought a new one, no big deal, but it's like I'm gonna have to pull the primary off, which means I'm gonna be triple checking those magnets that that all of the four speed Evo guys have been talking about for all of the weeks and episodes that that's been happening. Um, so I want to, I would want to check out the stator that's built into the stupid clutch. This is the stupid design that Harley had for like five years, and it's like. I'm at the point where I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to take that street tracker bike, that almost flat track bike that I have sitting in the garage, the 2001, and I'm going to build that motherfucker. Um, I, I just want something that's not an everyday bike. Right. Um, my, my soft tail, don't get me wrong. It's a great bike. It looks good. It's got all, every time I, I pull up to the fucking bike nights, all of the Dyna bros are like, dude, that thing's sick. Where'd you get the handlebars? Shut up. (laughs) Like I'm not trying to make any friends. I mean, I'm sorry. If you don't know where, where, where to find handlebars, in this day and age, when you have an iPhone or a not iPhone sitting in your fucking pocket, you've got the power of the internet in your hand. You can't find the bars and risers that I have. Look at my pipe. It's got a, it's got the name. It's a uh, Trask, Trask Performance. I don't know, somewhere in Arizona. You, you like my pipe? I like my pipe too. Go and Google it. <laughs> You'll find out where to fucking yeah. buy it. Exactly. It is so, pretty easy to find most things these days. Most things have brand labels on them too. Yeah. So I want to build a bike out of this 2001 Sportster. I'm going to leave the 1990 motor sitting. Maybe I'll stick it in a fucking uh, a go-kart. Maybe it'll just sit forever. I don't know. 
Um, but I want to build this 2001 bike. I'm going to rip into it. I know I told my wife that I wasn't going to do it, but I have the soft tail. So fuck it. Um, it's not like I'm cheating on her or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I figure for a, 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 a small budget, small ish budget, I can build that bike and I've got a solid motor. I've got good forks. I've got wheels and tires that I don't hate. Um, and uh, Lowbrow was having their sale a few weeks ago, early or beginning of the year. And I bought a like a 1.4 gallon or whatever the hell the, it was, a tiny little uh, gas tank that they had. Um, and my goal on that bike, if and when I actually start it, is I want to build something that's more dare I say, performance-oriented. Now, I hate the word performance being thrown in in anything regarding Harley-Davidson because, let's face it, Harley-Davidson does not know how to perform. They build cool bikes. They don't build fat, fast bikes. If I wanted to go fast, I'd buy a fucking Gixxer. Right. Um, but I want to build something with like a plus six, plus eight, fork tube something like that i want to keep that front wheel tucked in nice and close um maybe a d rake 27 28 degrees um because rake and trail do matter rake lives matter (laughs) (laughs) we're gonna get that going yeah hell yeah and i'm gonna get oh dude and we'll throw a protractor in it um and i want to put dual discs on the front And I want to put two calipers on the back just because I can. And I want this bike to have mid controls and hand controls with a clutch on the handlebar, which might not be jockey shift chopper cool. It wouldn't necessarily be a chopper per se. I would want to try to meld what the, the Dyna guys have found. And what the chopper guys have always known. You know, we, we've all heard that that guy who's like, oh, you can't ride a hardtail. You're going to have a bad back. Shut the fuck up. The frame actually flexes if you know anything about how metal moves. <clears throat> um, but to build like a, a simple, um, almost Jacob Kennard style bike, Yes, that's but a great when, example. I love that that bike he did. Oh, it was a great bike. But when with you know, so, so he was building that thing for People's Champ, and he had to throw out some tricks, like the the two backbones. That's cool as fuck, but that's impractical. I wouldn't try to do anything like that. I would just try to build a simple sportster, but I want to do it myself. I don't want to buy a frame. Paco makes great quality stuff, and. For all the people out there considering buying a Paco frame or Paco pipes or Paco oil tank or Paco whatever, transmission components. Hell yeah, baby. (laughs) But that's awesome. But I want to be able to say I built that frame. So I think what I'm going to try to do is emulate Al Emerson. Are you familiar with Al? No. 
Oh, oh, you're missing out. So Al is an Iowa native. He's nearby Minnesota, but uh, obviously not a Minnesotan. We won't hold that against him. Um, and Al Emerson builds some of the coolest frames and bikes I've ever seen. Um, and they're typically a 30-degree rake, a, maybe a 35 or definitely less than 30 degrees. And they're dual discs, and they look like you can fucking – maybe you're not going to ride it across country, but you could definitely be ripping it around town, ripping it, not just riding it, hauling balls. And that's what I want. I want a bike that just fucking looks fast and unrideable, but at the same time, I could if I wanted to. I see what you're saying with the D-rake, yeah. You know, Midwest was known for the D-rake for a while. They called it a St. Louis D-rake. They called it a Midwest D-rake. And it's not necessarily that guy who's stretching his frame fucking 15 feet up and pulling the rake in at 12 degrees. Um, it, it could just be something as simple as stretching your frame up but not forcing the forks out. Right. And and that's what we are. We're I'm I'm Midwest. I'm I'm as Minnesotan as it gets. Um, with the exception of a small three year stint that I spent in California. Um, but the 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 bike, the concept in my head would be something that you just want to fucking go. You want to see how fast you can take that curve. You want to see how quick you can stop. And, you know, it might not be chopper cool, but I want to have two fucking six-piston calipers on my front wheel. And I want to be able to stop 10 feet ago. Yeah. And, I mean, don't get me wrong. Spoolies and jockeys, they're awesome. I've got one. And, and, it, and it's cool as shit. And there's a whole club that was started in Iowa uh, over by Al Emerson, um, uh, the the what, what, what's that club called? Uh, Foresteros, El Foresteros, uh, Tom Fugel, right? And they're all about ride choppers or fuck off. And cool, that's awesome. Um, spoolies and twelve over forks and uh, kick only magneto bikes, and that's all amazing. But I'm at the point in my life where I just want to jump on it and fucking ride. And if that means hitting a button, and if that means having an Evo and not a a knuckle, so what? Yeah, dude, listen, you're talking to the right guy for that, for sure. (laughs) There's things I like. I'd love to have some of those older bikes, but I, I love the Evo motor. It's been good to me. I got mine up was up over 50,000 before whatever happened with the top end. So that's oh, a, pretty damn. Good, a pretty good run for that's a good run for a motor. Yeah. Factory pistons in there when I took it out. So no shit. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. They actually, I put the, I didn't even take the pistons out. I did rings. That's it. Oh, so, damn. Same pistons. Yeah. I was able to get by with just a, uh, just a hone chopper. Bob did the hone on it. So it's hard to, it's hard to not appreciate a motor that can put down 50,000 and not be fucking destroyed or at least need, and it didn't even need an overbore. 
It's pretty fucking good. Oh, wow. Wow, yeah. you didn't even need to bore the cylinders. You just fucking honed them. Honed them, did the rings, and I'm back up to... So I don't know how what the compression should be when it's cold, but I did a compression test the other day because I was having some issues with um, with the points, I think. Okay. And uh, 120 on both cylinders cold. So I don't know where Jesus. that falls. That sounds amazing. Is that you know, good? Because my gauge, the gauge that I have, it has like a green and a red in 120 is where they meet each other. And I was like, fuck, is that bad? Well, okay. That, that gauge you have is probably built for your typical Honda Civic. Yeah, and probably for that. It's a Harbor Freight gauge. Exactly. And, and and if if Loctite were here tonight, then he and I could shit talk in the automotive world about LS motors and cars and shit but i mean 120 is is probably needs some work if you're talking about uh a late model camaro but you've got a fucking 1994 harley davidson you have a tractor engine with a little bit of tolerance put into it that sounds amazing to me oh damn that's awesome yeah i was actually i just googled it right now um healthy motorcycle engines will have 120 plus psi so that's good. There you go. Good. Yeah. Google wouldn't tell you wrong. No, how our, could it? I mean, our our Google overlords have nothing but our best intentions in mind. This is very true. I'm sorry. Sorry. I, 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 I'm going to take off my tinfoil hat. <laughs> right? Yeah. You're like, it's a whole separate podcast. <laughs> I'm sorry. Are we on Joe Rogan? Yeah. That's after the mics go off so we don't lose uh, any California listeners. Yeah. <laughs> But so no, I mean, definitely I mean I'm impressed with it. And if you can get the the looks that you're after, like the aesthetic you're after with the performance of that motor, it's, it's ideal. And honestly, the Evo is such a great melt, you know, combination of that because you get that performance, that reliability, but you don't yet get into like things with the twin cam where like the motor changed so much, it became a single unit. It there's just a lot of shit that changes once you get past the Evo that makes it a lot harder to chop it. Not impossible, but a lot more I love, involved. I love how you point out that the twin cams are a single unit. I mean I've heard so many people refer to my iron head as a shovel head. And I correct them and I tell them all the time that it's not a shovel head because the iron head came first. The shovel head is nothing more than a big twin iron head. And you mentioned the unit motor on the twin cams, which technically I guess isn't unit because the transmission is bolted to the cases, not actually one common case, but the twin cam is nothing more than another big twin sportster. And the M8 that I got sitting in my garage right now with it with the, the M8 softtail that I got, Milwaukee 8, um, is nothing more than a big twin, really big twin sportster. I've got 114 fucking cubic inches. That's really fucking big. Um and it's got the engine and the cases bolted together. You don't got to worry about alignment. You don't got to worry about, do I need to shim something or did I torque something the wrong way or whatever? You just bolt it in and you go. 
and there's there's uh, there's a romance by the way to something about the evo and earlier motors where you do have to do that sort of stuff but fuck man like i said if i got time to work on my bike or if i've got time to fucking clean my bike i don't clean my bike i could ride it exactly and and as a father of three with softball and uh i gotta take my kid to her job and uh you know parent teacher conferences and all that other shit thrown in around the fact that i have a a a job that i have to clock into every day and i've got to spend a minimum of eight hours there fuck it's nuts. You know, I found myself, by the way, this past summer working at the fabrication shop, which is a solid seven miles from my house. That's kind of a flex. Um, <laughs> I found myself taking a fucking 80 mile ride home. Because what's the difference? I'm still going to make it home before dinner time. I'm still going to make it home in time to cook dinner if I have to cook dinner tonight. Right. That's true. You can't beat that. And, and, and you know, I, I, put, I put my knees in the breeze and I got a little two-wheel therapy. And, I mean, you're better off so much just for, for riding your bike. And, you know, I, I had, I had some, some friends at one point give me a hard time because my wassail tank on the – the iron head holds like under two gallons, 1.7, 1.8, something like that. And we're at a gas stop and my friends on their pan heads with the, the big five gallon fat bobs are like, you know, uh, you know, you're fucking small gas tank. You're forcing me to stop. Well, you're over here stretched in your back and you've got to pee and you're going to get a drink of water and you're going to smoke a cigarette so don't act like my forcing you to stop is such a huge inconvenience on you because you wanted to stretch your legs too. Yeah, stay on your bike then. Yeah, exactly. I know where we're going. I can meet you there. <clears throat> um, so I, I have connected with a couple of guys from via the podcast, couple of local guys. There's not a lot of us in Minnesota riding choppers. Um, but this one cat, his name is also Tyler, like half of the listeners to the Low Life Chopper podcast. Um, and he and I have been chatting a little bit, and he's got a uh, hoodie ghost company, hoodie underscore ghost. I don't know. Um, He's got an Evo Sportster, and we're trying to meet up and go to there, – there's a local show, um, Heavy Clothing puts it on, and we're trying to meet up and uh, have a couple of drinks. And this guy's a tattoo artist, so who knows where this is going to end up. Um, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't want to sound like that guy trying to blow smoke up your ass, but – for real, you and Loctite have created a community. And thankfully for me, that community is not local. Right. You know, it's 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 dudes all over the fucking map. Not even necessarily in North America, all over the place that are gonna hear my stupid voice burping and saying, uh 
I mean, and, and, <laughs> and you've been that community for other people. Like you had, you hosted whiskey eye when she was in your area. Oh dude. I would host Amy again in a heartbeat. Um, she wasn't lying by the way, when she came over here. So we've been chatting for a couple of weeks prior to her on her road trip. Um, I told my wife, I was like, hey, babe, uh, I've got a friend coming in from out of town, coming from Massachusetts and or New York or wherever. And, uh, you know, I got a spot to put him. And she goes, cool, because my wife is awesome. And Amy pulls into the driveway and my wife, Amy, looked at Amy Lynn and she's like, it's a girl. Like, well, yeah, I guess. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, did, I did not mention this, but. <laughs> because as much as I love my wife, if I would have told her, hey, there's some random redhead who's coming and she's feisty and she rides a Harley, my wife would have shot that down in a heartbeat. It might, Yeah, it might go over a little differently. Exactly. It would have been a fight and. But it is so cool. Maybe back in counseling. It's cool to see you guys doing that kind of stuff with the other listeners because it's obviously the show takes a commitment on our end, but it also, the community is the listeners. It's all the people that are willing to say, yeah, come stay at my place. And without that, it's, and I was talking to my wife about this too, of like trying to understand how the show has made people comfortable to open up their, their homes to it or to go and meet people at like a, like you said, meet this guy, you know, go for drinks somewhere. Um, Maybe it's just time with like, you, you've seen the handle so many times that you're like, well, I've been talking to this person forever now. They don't feel like a stranger, but whatever it is that's done that for the community to be able to feel like opening their doors and going to meet each other. We're stoked that it, that it happened that way. Well, and you know, whiskey, Eye puts out so much of her own personal information, obviously not address, but I mean, like she tells so much about her life. It's not just the motorcycles. It's not just her job or whatever other things that people identify themselves with. It's, She's like, I'm in a, I'm in a tough spot. Uh, I met a squirrel. I, whatever. She's this weird right. hippie chick and I fucking love her. And I felt like before she showed up, I knew her. Um, right. And as she said on her recap tour with you guys, that she messaged me from like Illinois or something. Um, and I was like, I, I responded, whatever it was. I said, I want you to know I'm a hugger. And when I meet you, I'm going to hug you. And that wasn't a question. That wasn't me feeling out her response. That was a flat out statement. You're coming here. I am going to fucking hug you. And that's as far as it goes. It's just a hug. But I want you to feel wanted and welcomed right and maybe it's the southern hospitality that i never really knew 
Um, maybe it's the Minnesota nice that is complete bullshit and probably never heard anywhere outside of Minnesota. Um, maybe it's the way I was raised. I don't know, but I want everyone to feel like they can come here. Sure. There's a line. Don't cross the line, but you can come here to my place and I will make accommodations for you. And if it's a day, cool. If it's a week, Okay, if it's more than that, then we're going to have a talk. But, man, you're all welcome. Every one of y'all. Even our Canadian friends. I'm stoked to hear that, man. It really is awesome that, like I said, the people open their doors. They want to meet other people in the area. I hope that this pulls out some more people in in your area, too. So... Fingers crossed that you get some messages from some people after this one and maybe can get a group of people that start meeting up regularly out in the out in Minnesota. That'd be awesome. Shit, yeah, it would. So listen, we're getting up on uh on two hours here. So I gotta ask you here, is there uh do you have any final thoughts for the people here as we move you know, to this one out? As we discussed earlier, I do have a couple of final thoughts. Um, for one, don't believe everything you read on the internet. Um, and for two, it's Friday, motherfuckers. I even wrote a little rhyme. If you want the best quality and not flop like a fish, confirm that frame geometry and find a machinist. Oh, if you're a- oh, there's oh more. not done. Not done. There's more. If you're okay with wobbling like a sharpening cart and not going fast or far, just close an eye and send it. Chopping can't be that hard, can it? <laughs> Dude, you came prepared for this. I try. I love it, man. I always love when people come and they're like, oh, yeah, dude, I wrote this well ahead of time. I'm ready to fucking lay it out. Dude, I wrote that like four minutes before the episode started rolling. So, yeah, I'm amazing. I came up with rhymes. You know how hard it is to find a rhyme for machinist? That is a tricky one, dude. I'm impressed. So (laughs) I got one here. I'll say uh, keep your tolerances tight and your raking trail in check. Your suspension in the trash and some extra points on deck. Word. Go!